0: didn't think about the scheduling conflict of uh, us going till 30 and your children needing to be picked up at 8. And we were really concerned about um, perhaps damage to the building if, uh, if, we, if we tried to make them wait for a half hour to get picked up. So we, we will uh, shorten a little bit tonight. We're on um, lesson number three. <clears throat> the idea of being led by the Spirit. Um, very, very few times, all of us—I'm not singling out anyone—but we we tend to focus on the gifts of the Spirit, talking about the pieces of armor, and we forget that Paul makes it clear that all of that needs to be energized by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So it's not just disciplines; it's not even just behavior. It's discipline and behavior energized by the Holy Spirit. and that's what I want to talk about tonight. Now tomorrow, I mean tomorrow, next Wednesday, we'll finish up this uh, this uh, series on the armor of God by talking about how to have a good fight. And uh, we're going to talk about um, uh, three or four principles of really that we really need to grasp if we're going to choose the right fights and uh, and and don't get. Uh, exhausted um, uh, fighting uh, battles that we were never intended to fight. You know, um, Muhammad Ali used to do something, uh, he didn't have to do it often because he was such a superior fighter in so many ways, but when he was up against someone like a Joe Frazier or somebody like that that um, had unusual ability themselves, uh, Ali had the ability to, to just lean back into the ropes and just let them punch him, pummel him, but he knew how to cover up and his strategy, you didn't know it till later, but he said he was taunting them. He was, you know, saying things about them to infuriate them. And he said he was just getting them to punch themselves to exhaustion. Then he'd come out and deal with them the way he wanted to. The devil does that sometimes. He, he wants us to get in the wrong fight. He wants us to spend all our energy throwing punches that don't matter. And then we find out that uh, we've exhausted ourselves in the wrong battle. So next week um, I want to talk to you about how to have a good fight, how to choose the right fight. But let's begin tonight by uh, reading our text that we've been looking at each week. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, let me give you uh, uh, like a two or three minute review um, of what we've covered. We began by talking about the general themes of the armor of God. And we're not just talking about the armor of God. We're talking about fighting with the armor of God. We said um, that night when we talked about general themes, we said to remember that we have an adversary. Uh, our, our Our enemy is not just a nefarious shadow out there. There is a specific enemy, His name is Satan, the great dragon you know the the great deceiver. Uh, so we have a particular adversary. We have uh, an armor uh, armory that we draw from that we talked about last week. Uh, in particular, the pieces of armor, the breastplate, the helmet, the shoes, the shield, the sword. Um, we talked about that. We also said that we need to be aware of the atmosphere, that we live in an, in, a, in an environment of conflict. You remember we looked at Nehemiah? You remember their story about rebuilding the walls? And they had a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. And sometimes life is like that, not all the time. Thank God, we don't have to fight all the time, but sometimes we're, we're building up and, and fighting at the same time. So we said that there's the adversary, there's this uh, armory that we can draw from, there's an atmosphere. Um, and then we also said that there is the nature of attacks. We need to understand that sometimes the attacks are our attacks on the enemy. They're offensive. But sometimes there are defensive fights. And I think, I think um, a lot of times Bible teachers and pastors think that it's one or the other. I've, I've had, not I've, I haven't had, but I've heard and I've read some intense arguments about is the armor offensive or defensive? Um, Well, the same thing can be said about a pistol. It it can be an offensive weapon or a defensive weapon. It depends on how it's being used and for what purpose and when and by whom. Um, I think we need to not view the armor as strictly offensive or as strictly defensive, but we need to understand that we are in in a, a lifestyle, an atmosphere of conflict, and sometimes the attacks are offensive, sometimes they're defensive. Then last week, we talked about the, the daily routine. And uh, this is in your notes. I mean, uh, for those of you that this may be your first week with us, we gave you all the notes um, to begin with because we weren't sure where we would stop each night. So far, we've been able to do one, two, three, and next week, four. But um, <clears throat> we talked about, uh, we, we need to make this part of our daily routine. And uh, it's, it's, an old, it's an old outline that I heard from a pastor a long time ago, and it served me well in my life, and I've taught it to you several times. But the, uh, the attitude of daily warfare, we said there are, uh, there's something we put up, there's something we put down, there's something we put on, and then there's something we put out and, um, uh, or, or put forth, whatever word you want to use. And we said, number one, we put up. And this is daily. This needs to be done daily in whatever form you want it to work. You know, it, 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 it doesn't have to be like I do it. Whatever you're comfortable with. It can be liturgical. It can be freestyle. But every day, I think we need to begin by putting up affirmations. I'm not just talking about positive statements, although I do believe in positive statements. Um, we begin by affirming God's commitment to us his goodness his love our commitment to him our love for him uh, I want to set the atmosphere right and so in the morning every morning and some days it's easier to do than others um, you know uh, some some mornings have been a it's been a rough night and and uh, I, I, I struggle to get through the Lord's prayer you know um, or I struggle to get my words working. Then other times I'm you know, all over it. But we begin by putting up the affirmations. The day begins with this, is, uh, this day is the Lord's and so am I. And we talk about his goodness. No weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. And uh, the, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. So we begin by putting up affirmations. And then we want to, whether we go through and and list them or just make general blanket declarations, it can change from day to day. But I need to put down the adversary. I need to realize, and you remember there are four or five C's we talked about, that the enemy brings confusion uh, to our minds and callousness to our hearts and carnality to our lives and corruption to our behavior. Those things we just disassociate with. Um, and we make up our mind from the beginning that um, our, my my war with you is not up for peace talks. Uh, the, the, my commitment to the Lord is not something that needs to be renegotiated today. So I'm going to put down the adversary. And then we said, a lot of times we just jump right into this and it doesn't matter if you do it first or last, but we don't want to do this in a vacuum. We put on the armor. We, and I've got friends that go through the motion every day. I I don't do that. Uh, Absolutely nothing wrong with doing that, but I take time every day to say, I am going to have my mind centered on hope, the helmet of hope, which is the helmet of salvation. I'm going to celebrate the righteousness of God that is mine positionally. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And not only am I positioned in righteousness, but I'm going to do my best to live in righteousness and do what's right. You say, does it work all the time? No, there are days I fail I fail at it. There are days I sin. There are days I, I mishandle or make mistakes. But my determination is to live as close to the heart of Jesus as I possibly can. I'm committed to truth. I want truth to guide my thinking, my reasoning, my actions, my doctrine, my relationships. I'm going to going to the shoes now as an example. I'm going to let peace guard my day. Peace determines where I stand. Peace determines that I stand. Peace determines where I go. And that's why he called it the shoes. Of the gospel of readiness of peace. And that's long in English, but basically what it's saying, it's the the shoes of peace. And then I'm going to have the sword of the spirit, the word of God. I'm going to have the shield of faith, which is just, you know, confidence that what God said is true. And with that shield, I will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. And then we said there's something we we put out or put forth. And that is... To be on the alert. And it's interesting, the word that is used, it's used uh, in two ways, sometimes of both meanings. But to be on the alert doesn't just mean to be aware. It does mean to be aware. But but it's also used in the idea of being aware and alerting others. Um, It's the idea of being a watchman. And you say, well, what are we to be on the alert for? Well, there's several things we could talk about, but basically it boils down to two things. We live on the alert of the Lord's return. We know that he could come any moment. The, the, the doctrine of imminency in the New Testament is a very strong doctrine. Jesus could come at any time we need to be ready, looking for the Lord's return. But we also need to understand that there is the reality and the possibility of the enemy returning. Um, that's what we learned from Nehemiah. When, when God gives you a breakthrough, understand the probability is the enemy is going fu- to push back. Um, in Matthew chapter 12, it says when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, the unclean spirit goes out and searches for a place to go. It finds none and returns to the house, meaning the man's life. And if he finds the house empty, he reenters and with other spirits and the state of that man is worse than it is at the beginning. So Jesus said, listen, it's not enough to get your life cleaned up. You need to fill it with the things of God, because if not, the enemy is going to try to return and you'll end up in worse shape than you were before. That's a that's a real Bible doctrine. Now we don't live in fear of the devil. We don't live thinking that, you know, it's a constant battle, who's going to win today, Jesus or the devil, but expect pushback. From the enemy. Okay, Um, yeah, I think that's where we ended last week. Now, today, let's talk about this idea of being led by the Spirit. I think I told you it's on page seven, I think, in your notes. And I want to go back to the beginning and read Ephesians 6 one more time. Um, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand. Most translations say after you've done everything to stand. But other translations, uh, they, they take a little bit of a liberty, but it is the meaning of it. After you've done everything you know to do to stand, just keep standing. Stand. you know. God will give you the ability to stand. Stand firm then. This is where we were last week with the belt of truth. Buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, uh, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we tend to stop there. But here's where we want to focus tonight. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now this tells us two things. When we are wearing the armor, it's gotta be fueled by prayer um, uh, for all, and, and all kinds of prayer. Um, that's why I think you need at least a, rudim, a rudimentary structure to your prayers. You know, this is what I pray, this is how I pray, these are my requests. But you also need to have the flexibility of the spirit um, you know, it, it, for instance, every day, every morning, without fail, um, I I pray the Lord's prayer. I think it's powerful. I think it's we we have we have neglected the power of it because we teach our children, you know, to pray the Lord's prayer. That's basically the first prayer they learn, besides maybe a prayer for food, and and we made it a childish prayer, but it's the prayer that Jesus, when the disciples said, "Teach us to pray." Teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples to pray. The Lord's Prayer is the approach that he took. And I think there's great power in it. I think every Sunday morning when we pray the Lord's Prayer together, there is a spiritual power that comes. I think there is an anointing that comes. I think there is an openness that we would not have otherwise. Uh, that, that, that doesn't mean if you don't do it, you don't have anointing or that you don't have openness, but I'm saying the more we learn to, uh, basically do what God told us to do, the more we're going to find his anointing power flowing in so many different ways. Um, and, and, um, it it says, not only do I need to, to do with all kinds of praying, And pray for the Lord's people. But he says this, pray in the Spirit. And that says this, I I think it says two things. I think it's, well, I think it says more than that. We'll we'll hit it in just a second. I think it means to not only, you know, pray with the Spirit's knowledge, but to, to pray with the inspiration of the Spirit. I was saying I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Some days when I pray the Lord's Prayer, I pray it in 60 or 90 seconds. But some days the Spirit has me dwell over those points. And and other days I might spend 20 minutes on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I I don't determine that. I don't say, well, I think today I'll spend 20 minutes on it. And tomorrow I'll spend eight minutes on it. And uh, I overslept today. I'll just give it a 30-second treatment. You know, I I don't do that. The Spirit leads. And we've got to learn to do that. So let's... um, the, the outline, the notes for tonight are very brief. Um, there's the word abide. And I wanted to talk to you about, uh, the Lord's insistence, uh, John 15. Who was it that was just teaching about John 15? I can't remember. Corey, Corey? Pastor Corey. Yeah. Um, I, I knew it was somebody. I didn't think it was me, but, uh, I remember hearing it and I remember thinking, boy, that's the key. We, we abide in him in order to bear fruit. And... Uh First John uh, chapter five, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and we know that we have what we've asked for, we're going to talk about that next week um, because it's really belongs more to that lesson than this one. But I want to talk to you about praying in the spirit. I think praying in the spirit means basically five things. Now, here's what I want to do over the next five minutes before we try to wrap up with these five dynamics of praying in the Spirit. I want to talk to you about tongues and our position in this church on tongues. Um, We are are kind of, I say unique, not like we're the only one, but we're not a typical this or that kind of church. Um, I, I don't know if that's by design, unconsciously, or if that's just the way the Lord has led us, But we, we are, we are like, um, um, uh, if I can, I mean this in the best possible way, we are a group of mongrels, you know, we have people that come from so many different backgrounds. Um, we have people from AG background, from Pentecostal holiness background Um, We have people at one time, the majority of our people were from a Baptist background, but that's 20 something years ago uh, that that was the case. I don't know what it's like now. We have, we have people from AME background, um, uh, Church of God in Christ. We we really have such a background. That's why it's, we spend so much time on doctrine and saying, this is what we believe, not this because I can say something like be filled with the spirit and there might be eight different interpretations of what that means to be filled with the spirit. Um, We have a a significant number of people in our church that to be filled with the spirit in their mind meant to be saved. Uh, That's what happens when you get saved. It's being filled with the spirit. Um, There are others from a AG background or a church of God in Christ background, Pentecostal holiness background, that view being filled with the spirit as another work of grace, uh, a separate work of grace. You're saved. And then at some point in time, you are filled with the spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. So we, we try to, we try to hammer along these lines, not because we think this way is the only way or that this truth is the only truth, but because we want to be able to try to speak the same language. And that's what I hope we can do by being, uh, Uh, by talking about praying in the spirit tonight. Um, I'm going to take just literally just a handful of of minutes and try to lay a foundation. And then we're going to get into these five things here. Um, We believe in our church, we believe that tongues, speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, worshiping in tongues, singing in tongues, whatever is the heritage of the Lord, the gift of the father for every believer. Sometimes churches like the assemblies of God, because of the way we've presented it, we believe that tongues is, uh, in, our, in our doctrine it says the, that tongues is the initial physical evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Initial means the first. Um, physical means the first thing that's observable. Um, and, and the reason we say that is because in the book of Acts, uh, there are a couple of statements like this we knew that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and that God had accepted them because we heard them speak in tongues as we did at the beginning. So the assemblies of God has kind of run down a path that said, if you're really filled with the spirit, you will speak in tongues. Now, I I believe this is me. I'm not speaking for the assemblies of God. I believe a better way of saying that. And and I do believe this. I believe this with all my heart. I believe if you are filled with the spirit, And I do believe being filled with the spirit is a, is a second work, but I believe it ought to be right on the heels of salvation. I I don't think I grew up in a culture where you had to wait months before you could be filled with the spirit. Um, And, and, and we, we used to have tarrying meetings and things like that. And, and that's okay. Those meetings gave us great time to draw close to the Lord, but I, I don't think it's right for us to say, well, I'm saved. I'm saved. But, and, and then one day maybe I'll be filled with the spirit. Um, I will say this, um, it's easy for some Pentecostal denominations to say that tongues is the initial physical evidence. I believe that because we need a way to know that someone's filled with the spirit, but we have presented it in such a way that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the spirit. And I don't, I don't like that. I don't like telling my brother and sister that's seeking the Lord you ain't got it yet. You know, try again next week. I do believe this. I believe when you are filled with the Spirit, uh, you say, do you believe everybody that's filled with the Spirit will speak in tongues? I believe everyone that's filled with the Spirit can speak in tongues. Um, I, I, I will even say I believe everyone that's filled with the Spirit probably should speak in tongues. But I'm not prepared to say if you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled because of this reason. And, and I, know that, I know that my position can break down, but um, some people are too scared to speak in tongues. Some people don't understand uh, speaking in tongues. Some people have been taught. So we have, you'd be surprised at the people in our church that came from a culture that said, if you speak in tongues, it's the result of demon possession. So we carry all kinds of baggage into our prayers for, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And instead of taking the posture that says, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled, I take the position that says, you've asked God to fill you. Thank him for filling you. Embrace the filling, but be open to tongues and any other manifestation that God wants to bring. Uh, I know that doesn't satisfy everyone. Uh, I know that's. that's I'm, I'm probably not even speaking well, our denominational position, I believe every child of God can speak in tongues as they're filled with the spirit. But I think some don't because they're just psyched out. I, I've had people in every church I've pastored that believe the promise was for everybody, but them, uh, you know, I, I've had people in every church I've pastored that said, I've tried everything and it hadn't worked. Well, obviously I not tried everything because it hadn't worked, but I, I, I don't get in arguments with them. I don't, Uh, I've been physically threatened. If you talk about tongues again, I'm going to punch you in the face. And they said that because they had not spoken in tongues. I'm saying you need to relax. You need to just chill and you need to let the Lord do that work in your life. I remember one fellow that was praying for months and months and I said, look, you've just got to, you've got to focus on Jesus. You're asking to be filled with the spirit. Don't seek tongues, just seek Jesus. It will take care of itself. And he came in one Wednesday night, pastor, I want to praise the Lord. And uh, I said, what's your testimony? And he said, I spoke in tongues this week. And I thought, boy, what sermon did I preach that got him over the edge, you know, I was thinking I must have done a good job. And uh, I I said, well, tell us about it. He said, I was just thinking that I need to relax and just focus on the Lord and, and not get all upset about it. And I just started speaking in tongues as soon as I said that. And I I realized that I was just making it too hard and God filled me with the Holy Spirit. I said, was that in service here? And I wish I had not asked that question. (laughs) He said, no, he said, I was just sitting on the toilet reading the book of Acts. (sighs) I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. But that's not the kind of thing you want in a Wednesday night testimony service, you know? And, uh, I said, well, praise God. And he's been speaking in tongues ever since. But, um, we believe that tongues is, is the normative experience. We don't draw a line and say, if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have what I've got. We want to be careful that we don't create an aloofness because I want to tell you some of the most powerful people I've known speak in tongues, but I also want to tell you some of the most mean and deceitful and troublemaking people I've ever known in church were the ones that gave messages in tongues. Now I can say that's not in this church, I can honestly say that, but I have had people that their hallmark was this badge of spirituality. And I knew what they did behind the scenes all week long. And they were the biggest obstacle to church growth in, in all my years pastoring there. So it's not a merit badge. It is a sign of grace. We see in Acts chapter two, when they were filled with the Holy spirit, they spoke in tongues. Now I want to say this, I'm trying to hurry. I really am. Uh, I'm trying to hurry. Um, Tongues, uh, it was it sometimes, Paul put it this way. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. And um, we know that there are times in Acts chapter 2 as an example, that sometimes we speak in tongues and it is a known language, not by us. But it's a known language. It's an earthly language. In Acts chapter two, they heard people from different regions and recognized their languages. and there's a book I, I, I know I've recommended this to you several times. Spoken by the Spirit, spoken by the Spirit, by Ralph Harris, I believe it is, and um, it's it's a it's an account of uh, of. People that have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was in settings that, uh, they didn't know what they were saying, but someone in the room did. Um, I, I told you the book by HB Garlock before we kill and eat you. And, uh, he was invited for dinner one night back in the 1920s by, uh, a, a, a tribe of cannibals. And he was literally invited for dinner. And, uh, before they, that's where the name of the book came from. Before we kill and eat you, uh, they allowed him to pray, and he prayed in the spirit, and he prayed in tongues. He said, "I had no idea what was what I was saying," but he said, beginning with the shaman, and then the the uh, the uh, chief of the tribe, and then one by one, people began to bow, and someone gave an order, and. Garlock and his group was cut loose and they were allowed to leave. He said, I have no idea what we said. He said, but it was a language apparently that they understood. So sometimes it's the language of earth that we don't know. But there's also language that was called the language of angels. And some of the rabbinical writings talk about that. Um, In Acts chapter 2, when they were filled with the Spirit, um, they spoke in tongues. And in Acts chapter 8 it doesn't say what the sign was that there with the Samaritans, but it was something happened that was so noteworthy and significant that Simon the sorcerer wanted to buy the gift that whoever he would lay his hands on, they would receive the gift of the Holy spirit In acts chapter nine and acts chapter 10, when the story of the household of Cornelius was told, they received Jesus and were filled with the Holy spirit uh, at the same time. And Peter knew that it was of God, he said, because they spoke in tongues as we did at the beginning. Um, Acts chapter 19, uh, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And the Ephesian believer said, we've not even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Um, and the reason they said that, uh, that Paul was questioning that, he said, this is what he said, we've not even heard whether there be any Holy Spirit. And Paul said, unto what then were you baptized? Because Paul knew we, when the scripture says that they were baptized in the name of Jesus, in the name of means the authority of the, the the command of. We pray in the name of Jesus. We don't have to say magic words. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. It, we pray on the authority of Jesus. There's there's no prayer in the Bible I know of that begins or ends in the name of Jesus. But it was an authoritative statement. He knew that if they had been baptized. As followers of Christ, they would have been baptized in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they said, we don't even know if, what you're talking about, the Holy Spirit. And then he explained the way of the Lord to them, and they received the Holy Spirit. They said, we were baptized by John, which was a baptism of repentance. It was getting ready for Messiah. But now they hear the message of Messiah, and they begin to speak in tongues as they did at the beginning. So tongues, we believe, is, is the normal experience. If you have not spoken in tongues, you are not less. If you have not spoken in tongues, we don't believe your experience is less. We simply make the statement from a positive perspective. We believe tongues is for you and we do not pass judgment on why you have not spoken in tongues. You say, well, you know, pastor that Paul said, does everyone speak in tongues? And the, the answer implied answer was no, but Paul was talking about gifts of the spirit not the manifestation of the Spirit's fullness. We'll talk about that real quickly. Uh, I want to tell you there are, there, are, there are four major usages of tongues. There's another couple of things that is, I can't get through on time if I try to deal with those tonight. But um, our, our position on this is that these tongues are the same in essence, but different in purpose. In other words, you can speak in tongues and it may sound the same for this purpose and this purpose and this purpose because it's the same in effort, in essence, but it's a, there's a different pur- purpose for it. For instance, in Acts chapter 2, and I believe in Acts chapter 4 where it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. These are people that had already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. but. Um, Paul, or Peter said, we hear them declaring the wonderful works of God and magnifying his name. So sometimes when we pray in tongues, it's praise and worship. Sometimes, Paul tells us in the Corinthians, and I think Pastor Glenn taught on this one time. Um, Paul said that we can sing with the understanding and we can sing in the spirit. And I believe that we can make music to the Lord that is either in our native tongue or in the tongues of the the language of the spirit, in tongues. He said, "I'll sing with the understanding. Uh, I'll 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 sing in the spirit, and I'll sing with the understanding. I'll pray in the spirit, and I'll pray with the understanding." So Paul said that, or uh, we know from the scripture that praise is one foundational purpose. We know that there can be musical manifestations of tongues. Uh, We know that there, like Paul said, I can sing with the understanding, I can pray with the understanding. He said, we can also pray in the spirit. Uh, Romans eight, boy, I... Let me adjust my brain and my tongue so that they're on the same wavelength here. Um, Romans eight says, um, we all have this infirmity that sometimes we don't know how to pray. So the Holy Spirit prays through us with utterances and groanings that cannot be understood. So I can praise in tongues, I can sing in tongues, I can pray uh, in tongues. And there's at least one more use, maybe as many as two more that we can talk about. Um, There is also a message to the congregation in tongues that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Those three chapters are given. And in all three chapters, he talks about managing tongues. Um, That's what Paul was talking about when he said, does everyone speak in tongues? He was talking about, does everyone speak a message to the congregation in tongues? And the answer to that is no, not everyone has that gift. And he said, and when you manifest that gift, he said, it shouldn't be manifested more than two or three times in a gathering, or people will think you're crazy. Um, And he says, and also it should be interpreted. And um, uh, so there are different purposes for tongues. So when I'm talking about praying in the spirit, it can be with tongues, but there's more to it. Okay. And in about three minutes, let me hit the rest of this. When I'm talking about doing spiritual warfare and praying in the spirit, number one, it's, it means that I pray with the spirit's direction you know what it's like to wake up one day and just have somebody on your mind. I'm worried about my grandson, or I'm worried about you know, my, my husband at, on the job today, or I'm worried about sister so-and-so at church. I know she's going through a tough time. So to pray in the spirit has nothing to do with whether it's in tongues or English in this respect. It means that we pray directed by the Holy Spirit. We pray directed by the Holy Spirit. We all know what it's like for somebody to to call us and just say, I just wanted you to know I had you on my prayer, uh, on my heart this morning. The Lord told me to pray. And they had no way of knowing that you were facing the toughest day you've had in years. But they were directed by the Spirit. Secondly, we can pray in the Spirit with the Spirit's information. In other words, not only are we just burdened for someone directed by the Spirit, but sometimes the Lord will be very specific and say, "I want you to pray for so-and-so today. This is what they're feeling. This is what they're wrestling with." And again, somebody knows how to pray for a need that they had no idea, uh, no way of knowing uh, without the Spirit's information. Number three, um, sometimes we pray with the Spirit's burden. Sometimes I think it's a good phrase is agonizing in prayer. You know what it's like to just pray and you not know what you're praying for, but you call out to God for mercy. I remember that it was 1985. I remember it very well. I I felt the agony. I was just under the agony of intercession all that evening, and I prayed in tongues, I prayed in my, in English, I called out to God. I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what it was. I remember walking out into the yard of the parsonage, and God spoke to me so very clearly. And it was, it was like this had been going through the travail of birth all day long. And he said, your mother is going to be taken to the hospital, and she will never go home. Unless I perform a miracle, and I want to tell you that's exactly what happened. Um, she went to the hospital, and she had, she ended up losing a kidney. And the doctors said, "Well, we can do this. We can do this." And finally, they said, "We don't think she's going to make it. We don't think she's going to pull through." But I had prayed, and the Lord said, "She won't go home unless I get a unless she gets a miracle." And so I had prayed through and I felt like God was bringing the miracle. And I, I laid hands on her and prayed. I said, Mother, I know what they're telling you. She was scared. I said, but God's going to send you home because he doesn't alert us to prayer if he doesn't intend to do something about it. And I prayed. I prayed. And it wasn't because I prayed. It was because of the leading of the Spirit. But she turned. She turned and got better and lived uh, another 20 years. He lived another 20 years with that, with that one kidney, but that's the Spirit's burden. We can pray also with the Spirit's anointing. Justin, come on up here so you can pray for us before we go. That way if we go over it will be you, not me. Uh, with the Spirit's anointing. And that means fervency. You know what it's like to pray and you just, sometimes you pray out of fear. Sometimes you pray out of duty. Sometimes you pray and you, you want it with all your heart. But you know what it's like when the anointing comes on you. And you could pray for a green frog to turn yellow and you know it would happen. That's due to the Holy Spirit. That may not be a good example. I've never done that. But uh, uh, you pray with the Spirit's anointing. And I believe that's what's at the heart of James when he says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then lastly... I do believe that we have the privilege of praying in the spirit praying in that unknown language and um, the good thing about it Paul says to the Romans is that you know our minds may not comprehend what is being said but the one that is praying through us knows the mind of the of the father and there's a connection that we don't we don't have to know I wish I had time to give testimony of the times that I prayed and I prayed through and I've gotten a victory and had no idea what the solution was, but praying in the spirit, God gave that victory. Don't let tongues be a stumbling block to you and don't let the position of the church, you know, don't say, well, I'm pastor. I want to, I want to call a church council because I just disagree with this. No, we, this is, this is our stand. This is what we believe but we don't want anyone laboring under a burden that God never intended you to, to labor under, okay? Tongues are His. He can manifest it. Just keep your heart open, and that's part of our spiritual warfare. Justin, come and dismiss us tonight so we can run and get our kids.